0: Hey there, welcome to The tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Okay, I'm going back towards salt again, uh, something we talked about before. Um, I had an interesting discussion the other day with uh, Tenon's uh, creative director and fellow hardcore aquarist, Johnny Ciotti, uh, about a range of topics related to the establishment and management of botanical style aquariums. And one of the things we discussed was the idea of botanicals breaking down in the substrate and sort of serving as a mulch, which supports biological activities, including microbial growth and, of course, plant growth. And I've personally experienced the benefits of allowing materials to accumulate in the substrate. My recent brackish water botanical style aquarium experience has borne this out. So here we are going back to brackish again. But it got me thinking on a larger perspective about brackish and again, why that type of um, aquarium seems to have fallen, I don't want to say fallen out of favor, it just never really caught on. I know there's several reasons we've discussed this over the years. We talked about it about two or three years ago when probably a little premature to really try to blow up brackish like we did in 2017, 2018. But I think the time is right now to really start talking more about it. And this is a rapid pivot. I just sort of woke up and decided to talk about um, I think we need to think more about brackish water aquariums and how we run brackish water aquariums moving forward in 2021. We have the skill set and the experience now in working with our more conventional freshwater botanical style aquariums, and this translates directly over to our approach, which we've talked about before, and we'll definitely be talking about again in the coming weeks and months. Now, one of the first decisions I made with my last brackish water aquarium. Was to do stuff like not siphon out all the organic debris and detritus, that's a total catch all phrase, I know, that accumulates during the normal course of existence in any aquarium. My rationale was that the bulk of this material was fish waste and broken down leaves and botanicals as opposed to uneaten food and stuff like that. My whole point of the brackish water mangrove aquarium that I played with, that whole exercise, was to create a simulation of the organic, heavy, exceedingly rich substrates in which they're found while still creating a manageable closed system that doesn't turn into a cesspool. That's always the challenge. I kind of figured that if I didn't overfeed, didn't overstock, and then perform, you know regular water exchanges on a weekly basis, uh, that it would work. I employ practices which assure as much environmental consistency as possible, it's the way I do all my tanks, and I'm sure many of you do too. And yeah, the physical environment has a very slight amount of fine organic debris and detritus on the substrate. I've purposely siphoned this stuff out before, and by crude estimation, I'd say that well over 80% of what actually is there accumulating on the substrate is the aforementioned botanicals and leaves and bark and stuff in a decomposed state. A sort of mulch, if you will. Now, in the brackish system, I do see nerite snails and some of the fishes foraging on this material from time to time. But it's not all that noticeable unless you really, really start looking carefully. It's not like there's big piles of detritus. Part of it is because I don't use stark white sand and try to keep everything bland and clean. We'll talk about that later too. But the, the point is, I think that these substrates, these accumulations of materials, these, they replicate the types of rich substrates in which mangroves grow and thrive. If you recall from my many previous ramblings about this tank and others and about the brackish in general... We decided to utilize a variety of fairly rich substrate materials, including some sediment additives, aquatic plant soils, and fracted clay gravels and other things uh, for the sort of top dressing. And the reason for this section of rich substrate materials, or selection, excuse me, of rich substrate materials was really twofold. Number one, I wanted to create a functional mud-like substrate that would facilitate both denitrification and the ability to provide a habitat for minute life forms. I felt that this would also be a more natural setting for brackish water fishes. My original intent was to plant some cryptocorine ciliata, a species which is well known for its ability to adapt to low salinity brackish water environments. That plan was ultimately abandoned when I decided to increase the specific gravity of the aquarium to 1.010, which is considerably higher than the documented specific gravity at which that plant is known to survive, which is typically 1.002 to 1.005. So the second reason for employing such a rich substrate in a non-planted, at least conventionally non-planted aquarium like this, was to set up the system for the point when the mangrove propagules, which I anchored to the top of a sort of a superstructure of, uh, of branches. If you go on our website, you can kind of see how I did that. They would ultimately put down prop roots and touch down and penetrate the substrate layer, which needs to be rich and sometimes ana- even anaerobic. I knew this process would take many, many months, of course, given that it was a deep tank I was working with, and it did. I also added some dried Malaysian mangrove leaves into, into the surface of the substrate, which started to break down, and the intent was to let them do their thing and decompose in the substrate and help enrich the habitat with tannins and humic substances, which occurs in these brackish water environments. If you look at mangals, uh, mangrove and habitats throughout the world, they're a very rich, rich environment. And I had a pretty good-sized crew of these olive norites snails that was added. Uh, as a means to maybe control excessive amounts of algae and to sort of work over the decomposing leaves. And they were remarkable at their ability to do both. And they fed on fungal growths and bio cover and all that kind of stuff. So what I saw over the first six months or so of the aquarium's existence was the development of a remarkably stable, biologically active, and very rich habitat. And the mangroves did what I thought they'd do. They put down prop roots and grew out many leaves, some which occasionally do dry up and fall. And of course, which, you know, when we allow those leaves to accumulate on the bottom, just like in the natural habitats we're attempting to replicate, uh, we're doing a very natural thing. Mangrove ecosystems, just so you know, are remarkably complex and very diverse systems which process nutrients by decomposing and utilizing organic matter. Now, many organisms like fungi, bacteria, and even sponges work together to utilize vast resources produced in these habitats. And the larger creatures like crabs and amphipods and stuff like that break apart, uh, you know, leaf bits and provide sort of a gross dismantling service that uh, contributes to the decomposition of these materials, much like the shredders do in the Amazonian environments we talked about, which ultimately leads to detritus. Yeah, so if you want to move beyond the absurd hypersanitized hobby version of a brackish water aquarium, you need to understand how these ecosystems work in nature. Make some mental shifts to accept the appearance, the challenges, and the obligation to observe, test, and maintain these systems over the long haul you can do this easily. Now, in the confines of an aquarium, obviously, we can't keep every single type of life form that we'd encounter in a wild mangle, but we can incorporate some of them to perform some of the same functions, particularly the microfauna, the fungi, and the small crustaceans. It's a real dance with multiple components in play. I find this both challenging and compelling. And again, it's sort of that functional aesthetics thing that we talk about so much, coupled with at least my ability, to tolerate the brown water decomposing leaves, etc., that are essential byproducts of this environment. In wild mangrove habitats, a significant amount of detritus is readily consumed by a group of specialized animals and fishes as, you know, before it's remineralized completely to an inorganic nutrient form. And production and accumulation of detritus in these systems has been correlated by scientists to increase the growth, growth of the mangroves themselves. Now, interestingly enough, as I've experienced with my, you know, blackwater botanical-style aquariums, I've seen remarkable stability in terms of the environmental parameters and definite solid growth in the mangrove seedlings, which was especially impressive once the roots began touching down on the substrate. What I'm seeing, what I've seen, and what I planned on seeing was the substrate playing a very important role in the overall setup. This is a common theme. We've talked about this in freshwater a lot, Right. Now, with mangroves growing at a significant pace, laying down thicker and thicker root structures, I was really diligent about not overfeeding this tank. But I did little to no siphoning of the substrate. Even the nutrient-rich fecal pellets of the snails are allowed to accumulate. Now, this is a far, far different approach than I think I've ever taken with any aquarium. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Although it seems weird simply stating, I'm not siphoning the bottom of my aquarium and allowing the detritus, you know, allowing the detritus to accumulate. seems weird, but I have no particular feelings of negativity ascribed to this practice. I'm quite okay with it because in a well-managed system like this one, with the basics of aquarium husbandry attended to, it's not a problem. There have been no water chemical uh, issues, no, no excessive nitrate, phosphate, no pH problems. It's been incredibly stable. And the idea is that I'm trying to work with the micro and macro fauna, which reside on the substrate, and to deprive them of their food sources as well problematic if that's the end game, right? So this type of brackish water aquarium is truly one of the most stable, easy to maintain systems I've ever kept. And really, everything has been remarkably predictable. The biggest surprise was the very rapid establishment of the mangroves, in particular, the really robust development of the leaves and the, the rapidity by which they put down roots. I was surprised. Now, I attribute this to multiple factors. Obviously, we had decent light uh, in, in the area where the aquarium is. That That helps. But the depth of the aquarium was one thing because it allowed those roots to go down significantly and strengthen themselves to establish themselves into the substrate. And the environmental parameters were stable and well-suited for mangrove growth. I used a specific gravity of 1.010. I topped off my aquarium automatically regularly uh, to maintain the specific gravity at 1.010. That's the reefer in me. Simple to do. Just requires an investment in a couple pieces of equipment, an auto top-off system, which there are some pretty inexpensive ones out there. Uh, and it just required a little bit of discipline that is, you know, something that we all sort of have here. And it's been a grand experiment. Um, I, you know, the, the, the thing that I think is so amazing is everything sort of run sort of contrary to the vision and execution of the majority of the brackish water aquariums I've seen in the hobby over the years. There's so much more to be learned from this aquarium or this type of aquarium approach over the long term, just like there is in our, you know, pure freshwater habitats Perhaps the best lesson is the confidence that you can gain from executing an idea, an idea that might be unconventional or unorthodox. If you have a fairly solid understanding of what to expect, the mangrove habitat is surprisingly well studied by science. And there's a lot of research literature out there on the ecology of these unique plants and the ecosystems they come from and how they play a role in their habitats. And of course, a lot of information about the habitats themselves. And, you know, we need to make the effort to go beyond the hobby realm. We need to go beyond the Instagram-fueled, contest-driven, you know, brackish water tank or whatever. And look beyond this stuff and really drill down into the to the scientific work that's out there. It's not that hard to read. I'm not a scientist by training, but I can read this stuff and interpret some bits of information. Am I wrong sometimes when I make my interpretations? Absolutely. Do I learn from them? You betcha. The important thing is that we can't keep limiting ourselves to just what other hobbyists are regurgitating because what I see in the popular press and on forums that push black you know brackish and even blackwater aquariums is oh this has to have a certain type of parameter this pH needs to be this this needs to have this specific gravity I actually got into a well I got into and got out of real quickly a discussion where uh, one of these brackish forums a couple of years back where somebody wanted to see pictures of aquariums I put mine up you know a few people oot and odd and Of course, a few people poo-pooed and said, oh, your water is brown. You got to do water changes, which, you know, put my facepalm moment. And of course, somebody immediately asked me what specific gravity, which I said was 1.010. And he was told, I was told, there are no brackish water aquariums at 1.010. Brackish water habitats aren't 1.010 in specific gravity. And there was a long discussion, which I bailed out of quickly because I had no patience for that stuff, which of course he was 100% wrong. But the point is there's misinformation just like we encountered in the, bro- the Blackwater realm. So, you know, you got to get used to that. So we need to get over ourselves a little bit. You know, it, again, it gets me questioning, why haven't we seen more brackish water aquariums that look like, well, brackish water ecosystems, let alone attempt to replicate some of the function? It's because we're not used to thinking that way. Not everybody, but a lot of people. In the mainstream hobby, we need to push. If there's one mission that we have here at Tanning Aquatics, it's not selling stuff. I mean, sure, I need to make a living, but I want to push the ideas that we can go beyond the so-called conventional wisdom that's in the aquarium hobby. That's how we advance. And sometimes we fail spectacularly. Other times we learn things that we never would have learned if we just took the tried and true road. It's really, really important. And the thing that's interesting is that white sand and a bunch of gray rocks in the water is certainly brackish when you put salt in it. But it doesn't represent the actual ecosystem all that well. Sure, is there a system around the world somewhere that has, you know, a few gray rocks and some white sand and it's 1.005 or 1.010 specific gravity and it's brackish? Sure, I'm sure. The majority of these systems, however, are far different than the way we picture them in our mind. I think, again, it's an example, and I can't say this enough, and I know it pisses a lot of people off, but I think it's an example of the aquarium hobby creating a stylized interpretation of this habitat for so many years as opposed to putting a bit of confidence in the environment itself and utilizing that as the inspiration for the aquarium setup. I heard a lot of pushback when I started playing with my brackish systems in this manner, just like I did when I started playing with Agapo-style freshwater, you know, brackish water, blackwater aquariums. It's unfamiliar to us, so we get concerned. I would see these things like, it won't work in a brackish tank, it'll create anaerobic conditions, too much nutrient, tinted water means dirty, blah, blah, blah. It sounded so familiar, and it was always wrong. Sure, there was some good-natured information, and there was some good advice. The bulk of what I received was outright crap. I'll be perfectly honest with you. And I'm not saying that I know better than anybody else or that we're right and they're wrong. The problem is there's so much dogma in this hobby, and it's so unhealthy, and we just need to push beyond that. I get contacted every day from hobbyists that want to try different things, and they're a little bit concerned because they've heard it won't work, or they went out on a forum and just got blasted when they presented their idea and they get discouraged and that is just so wrong. So, you know, at the end of the day, these experiments like man- like mangrove systems, black water systems or whatever, are about what we already know. It's about husbandry. It's about management. It's about observation. It's about diligence. It's challenge. Occasional failure. Yeah, you might kill some stuff because you may not be used to managing a higher nutrient, you know, brackish water system. Well, how many people are? You have a number of variables ranging from specific gravity to the bio load to take into consideration. Your skills are gonna be challenged, but the lessons learned in the Blackwater botanical style aquariums that we play with will provide you with this huge experience base that'll assist you in navigating that sort of a tinted brackish water botanical style aquarium. It's not groundbreaking in that it's not ever, never, ever been done before. Public aquariums have played with this. I know some reef hobbyists that have done some of this with actual full-strength salt water. It's just that it's never been embraced like this before, met head on for what it is, what it can do instead of how we wanted to make it be, you know, bright white sand, crystal clear water and a few rocks and shells. Rather, it's in evolution, a slow step out forward out of the artificially induced restraints of this is how it's always been done. Another exploration into what natural environments are really like and understanding and embracing and appreciating the aesthetics, functionality and richness, figuring out how to bring this into our aquariums. That's what it's about. I long ago removed the certain hesitancy that many people may have about decomposing leaves and such in our aquariums, and many of you have too. I'm not alone. Five plus years into our botanical style aquarium sort of revolution, the global tint community as they call it, is gaining confidence in utilizing leaves and botanicals and all that stuff, not only to achieve that certain look, but more importantly, to replicate as much as possible the function of these impressive and alluring natural ecosystems. Brackish is just another thing. We're learning that stuff like detritus is not necessarily a bad thing and that letting it accumulate under the right circumstances shouldn't be cause for fear, particularly when it's affiliated with a closed ecosystem which can process and utilize it much in the way nature does in the wild mangrove estuaries of the world. It's something worth replicating, isn't it? I think so. Put together all the elements that we've worked with and other aspects of the botanical style aquarium and you'll be surprised where it can take you. We're going to evolve brackish systems from partially functional simulations to more ecologically diverse systems as we learn more and more about the variety of plants and animals that can be incorporated into these microcosms. It's an evolving process like everything else we do. It involves patience, open-mindedness, creativity, risk. You know the drill here. Start exploring. Stock up on some salt. Let's take a brackish trip together in 2021. I think that's where we're headed. Stay bold. Stay excited. Stay grounded and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the hopefully next episode that's thought-provoking of The Tint.